freaking auto! This, this is Brock and Salk. Brock Ewart is my hero. Jay Buter just punched me in the kidney. Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studio. On Seattle Sports. Oh, we're going to do you our manager. It doesn't really work that way, Sherm. This is a show that has my name on it. It kind of does, though. Brought to you by Carter Volkswagen in Ballard. Now, here are your hosts, Brock Ewart and Mike Salk. Hello! Yes, hello. We are over at Seahawks facility, Virginia Mason Athletic Center, getting ready for Geno Smith at 7.30. We've never talked to Geno before, and we'll spend uh, 15 minutes or so with him coming up here in a half hour. Jeff Passan at 8.30, and uh, Josh Rojas going to join us at 9.30 after the Mariners just like a hurricane, Brock, destroying anything in their path. They do not cross the Mariners' path right now, or you are going to get knocked out of the way, whether it be by hitting or pitching or base running. They are doing all of those things right now about as well as you could ask them to. Well, yeah, I, I would say record-setting well. How about that? The Mariners, during their their current seven-game winning streak, as the Ebenezer's come on, how about 93 hits, 39 extra base hits, 17 home runs, and 13 stolen bases? No other team in MLB history, has reached all of those numbers over a seven-game span. That is thanks to my friends over on Twitter at Optistats, who i never seen before, but that's what happens when a team goes on a run like this. Yeah, I saw that uh, Aaron Goldsmith retweeted that yesterday, which is probably where you got that. And, and it's unbelievable for a team that can't hit, for a team that, you know, struggled so badly to put together hits earlier this year, bat at bat, swinging at pitches outside the zone, all the things we could all see with our own eyes, yep. they've turned that around. I mean, I was saying earlier this morning of all of the things we went through yesterday, all the differences between the Mariners in the first few months and the Mariners for the last two. One of the ones that stands out to me, not an individual, but more as sort of a whole, is just the overall quality of at bats. They're swinging at better pitches. They're forcing good pitchers out of the game early. They're allowing a guy like yesterday, what's his name, Tuki Toussaint, they allowed him to just throw balls. Like, yes. dude, you want to not throw strikes? Right. Cool. Yep. We'll just sit here and let you burn yourself out, and when you finally come over the strike zone, we'll turn and burn. Yeah. And they destroyed the guy. Yeah. And it's largely the same cast of characters. You know, when, when you ask Cal Raleigh that question, was it approach? Is it approach? Is it execution? What did he say? He's like, no, it's execution. You know, it's just going out there and delivering. Ryan Divish uh, put up one of his quotes from Cal there late June uh, when, you know, after a Nationals loss and Cal was speaking to, we're just not doing what we're capable of doing. And we know it. We're not playing clean. We're not playing the kind of baseball. And, you know, everyone's talking about it. But at some point, that talk has to stop. And you got to go out there and you got to deliver. And man, have they ever over the last month and a half now, you know, as August comes to an end here and let's hope they keep it hot in Chicago and the Royals and the A's. They better keep it hot in Chicago. This Chicago team stinks. This is the, like, if I were a Chicago White Sox fan, if I lived in the south side of Chicago, I would be angry. Yeah. Like this, there is no reason the Chicago White Sox should be this much worse than the, than the Kansas City Royals. They both have lousy records. Neither one of them can pitch, but the Royals are out there At least playing hard and competing yes. and doing all the things you want them to do. This team kicks the ball around. They, yep. they don't throw any strikes. They swing. They're awful. They yes. are terrible Their culture is broken. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah, I've heard, uh, you know, at, at times a little too much about that culture there. <laughs> I've got a friend that, that may be there. And, yeah, I mean, just culturally, you, you see it. They just totally underperform. But this is what, you know, this is why I, I think it is so critical that you start to peak at this time of year, right? That you just start to take off then because you're going to see, remember San Diego, my buddy Daniel, who was sitting by their dugout, he's like, bro, 
lifeless. I mean, zombies. The Padres had no life whatsoever. Look at these white. The White Sox don't even look like they want to play. They're they don't. Dead. Yeah, they're I mean, they're just DOA. You know when you want to play that team Sunday in the fall, where they're all busy <laughs> trying to get back and check their fantasy football scores. Yeah, don't play them in April or May necessarily before no. they figure out that they're not into it and uh, don't have a culture and not into one another. Play them in in hunt game 125 Oof. when their bodies are a little bit shot, when they're fatigued, when they're tired, when they're 25 games under 500. But good on the Mariners. This is absolutely what you're supposed to do against a team like Chicago. Go out, beat their brains in in game one, force them to use their entire bullpen. They'll have a little tougher test tonight. Mike Clevenger can pitch, yep. right? You've seen him before with San Diego and Cleveland, right? And he's kind of annoying to watch and, you know, does a whole bunch of obnoxious stuff on the mound. Like, you're not going to enjoy watching him. But And he can pitch. He's obviously a lot better than yes. Tucson. But the way this team is going right now, I got so much confidence Gosh. in them finding different ways to win games that they'll help Brian Wu out tonight and yep. kind of do what they're supposed How to. How many straight fastballs do your boy throw? 47. <laughs> Most popularly occurring random number in the universe. <laughs> is it really? 47. <laughs> 47 straight two-seam and four-seam. I wonder if at some point Cal thought maybe, or Luis thought, is this pitch <laughs> That's what Divish asked last yes. night. He asked him literally that question. Did he really? Yes. Is he this asked, broken? He asked Luis that question. Were you worried that it was broken? <laughs> did he really? He did. And it was hard to like hear it go through the translators uh-huh. back and forth. So I don't know whether the <laughs> joke landed as well as Ryan wanted it to. Yes. But he literally asked the same oh thing my gosh. last night. Yeah, just two seam, four seam. Did you know that was happening? Did you no. notice it? I didn't either. No. I mean, his ball moves a fair amount. Right. I mean, it's kind of. It's not like it's, he's throwing straight fastballs. It's ball. not a straight four seamer or two seamer, especially. So it still has movement, but but you it could it, not have written a better script last night. I you know I tweeted that seventh eighth like if if you had Jerry on if if yesterday was a Jerry Depoto show and said Jerry write out the script for tonight whatever you want man Genie's going to come out of the bottle whatever you want how do you, how do you want well let's jump on him early let's blow them out so we get Julio totally off his feet let's let Luis throw pretty free and easy give him a 7 8 run lead and let him throw 47 straight fastballs let's get you know Suarez it's, it's off of his feet interesting to hear them say though that that was again the plan for for Castillo two games in a row coming off of a shot bullpen in both games what does he do Force contact. Pitch that was contact. that was the exact words that Cal used last night. We were trying to force contact. Well, still well it worked. Didn't work. Well, kind of. Well, I mean, they were trying nine, to. Nine strikeouts. <laughs> the team is just that bad. Yes. But he's just throwing fastballs, Correct. trying to let them get themselves out as quickly as possible. Yep. And it works. He goes seven innings. He could have gone eight if you'd needed him to keep going. But obviously, you don't mind throwing an inning to nope. Mastardo, an inning pin. to McCacken. Everybody yep. else gets their night off. Gosh. McCacken probably gets sent back down today as you activate Brian Wu. And all of a sudden, your bullpen's rested again, and you get to hopefully keep beating in the brains of this White Sox team before coming home when uh, when this series is done. So they're in a good spot. It's fun. And then I know you and I were both staying up afterwards just watching to see what happened on, with Arizona. Arizona. Come on, Arizona. Well, and it was all the ex-Mariners for Arizona yep. who kind of got it done. Yep. Right? You got Cattell Marte with a home run in the ninth inning off of Aroldis Chapman to tie it up. 1-1. And then uh, Seawall holds it down in the 10th. They don't get it done, and then in the 11th, uh, they came up with back-to-back doubles to win the game. It was pretty great, um, and yeah, I, I chuckled a little bit for all of the Bruce Bochy's going to be the big difference in Texas, yep. and he's a great... Well, Bruce Bochy had a two-run lead, a man on third and two outs. He elects to intentionally walk a guy Marte. to put the tying run on base, and then gives up back-to-back doubles. Yep. Baseball, man. 
It's baseball. It is baseball, baseball. but it's also the Rangers, and I've seen their movies way too many times before. What am I in store for, by the way? As I pulled in, yeah, I'm like, oh gosh. Oh, Pass and I were texting. I mean, I can't wait for Gino in 20 minutes. But what am I going to walk into with you and Pass? Pass and I were getting after each other. Is it going to be two elitists throwing just pillow word? Fights. Pillow words? Yeah, yes. Pillow we're going to be pillow words at Pillow each other. word fights. It's going to be like we're lying. It's going to be a word it's pillow It's going to be fight? a pillow talk fight between me and Jeff Carson. Yeah, no, I think you've got that right. Awesome. Geno Smith, before any of that, that's coming up in 20. The Mariners are rolling. It's a pretty good time to be a Seattle sports fan. We'll be right back with everything you need to know. I'm Brock and Salk. Need to know. 15 minutes past every hour with Brock and Salk. Here's what you need to know. Up first. Panicked text from my mother last night in about the third inning. I just got home from dinner. Is everything okay with Julio? I'm like, yeah, mom, he's fine. It's just a regular night off for Julio. No Julio, no problem. They didn't need him. Mariners gave him a, just a day off, and they kept on hitting without him. They scored five in the first. They never looked back. This was an all-out barrage. Spot. Here's the pitch to Cal, swinging a drive. Deep to right field again, and goodbye baseball. The Big Dumper does it again. Cal Raleigh with his second home run of the ball game. Way out of here to right field to the top row. The bleachers in right. Holy smokes, five RBIs on the night for Cal Raleigh. It's a three-run blast here in the top of the eighth inning, and it's now the Mariners 12, and the White Sox won. What a night. For Cal Raleigh. He ended up driving in six with those two home runs, another home run from Teo, one from Dom Canzone, multi-hit nights from each of those guys, plus Suarez and France and Rojas. <sighs> Pretty good. Luis yeah. Castillo just did the rest. Goes seven innings. The Mariners win 14-2, cut four. Scott impressed with what his ace offered. It was awesome to watch tonight. Um, he threw a lot of fastballs. He threw 47 fastballs in a row tonight, uh, which I'd never seen before. That's how good he is. You know what I mean? And it, again, I had, I wasn't <laughs> until afterward. He was just two-seamer, four-seamer. He was moving it back and forth. Had a lot of life on the ball tonight. And getting deep in the game like that was was awesome with the, where we're at bullpen-wise. So, again, great way to start the series. Um, get back at it again tomorrow. Dice right. Slant blunt. Check with me. Alert quick game. Dice right. Slant blunt. Alert quick game. 18 straight times Tom Moore called that into Peyton's helmet. We played the Dallas Cowboys, and I was charting them. So I, thankfully I didn't have to keep writing it down. I just did the little, what's the little grammar? The, 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 <laughs> little quotation. Yeah, a little quotation. Same thing, same thing, same thing. 18 straight times we ran that play because they didn't have an answer for it. And Luis could throw 47 straight fastballs because the White Sox did not have an answer for it. They actually caved nine times in that game. Ready pitched contact in Kansas City. It was three strikeouts. Pitched contact in Chicago with Kansas, that team. Kansas City's a little bit better at making contact. Uh, yes. Yeah, that team. Uh, Let's hope we see those same, that same White Sox effort tonight and tomorrow because it will be another score. Roster moves before the game yesterday. Emerson Hancock goes to IL as expected. Darren McCacken was called up and did pitch an inning last night. I'd expect him to get sent back down maybe as soon as today to make room for Brian Wu. And then it was good to see J.P. Crawford activated yesterday as well. He walked twice uh, in his return. It was Sam Haggerty who was sent back to make room. So Mariners pick up a game on the Rangers who lose in the 11th. They're only two back in the division. They pick up half a game on Toronto, so they're a full game clear of the Blue Jays. 
Houston did come back to beat Boston, so the Mariners are half game behind the Astros, but now four games up on Boston. So uh, pretty good spot to be in with one more in Chicago tonight with Brian Wu against Mike Clevenger, and then the uh, final game tomorrow, they'll have George Kirby. Here's the second thing you need to know. Public portion of training camp over, but the hard work really continuing for the Seahawks. They'll have practice today before the final preseason game on Saturday in Green Bay. There's still real storylines out there every day of practice right now. And starting with just some of the injured guys, who can make it back? Will we see fifth overall pick Devin Witherspoon on the field? Will we get to see fourth rounder Cam Young, who is supposed to be a part of that rotation on the defensive line? What about Jordan Brooks? Where is he at? When will we see Jamal Adams? When will Ken Walker make it back? Those are significant contributors on this team that we're still waiting for. In the meantime, everyone seems to be pretty darn happy with what this team is doing. Everyone who sees them comes away impressed. Played you some Peter King sound earlier. Here was Greg Olson, sort of former Seahawk, who now all of a sudden is changing his tune on the Hawks. I, I think they've got a lot of good players. I think they've got a lot of young pieces. I think they probably surprised some people last year with how well they did. I think their division is not as strong as everyone, you know, going into last year, everyone thought that NFC West was going to be world beaters. The Rams obviously took their lumps. The Cardinals are kind of in a little bit of a rebuild. So with, you know, San Francisco arguably has the best roster in the league. We'll see what happens at quarterback. But, you know, that, that division is not what that division looked like even a couple of years ago. So I, I think you're spot on. I think the Seahawks are in a good spot. Talent-wise, obviously Pete Carroll's done it for for a long time and knows how to kind of reinvent themselves on a, on a every few year kind of cycle. And and then I also think they're going to benefit from that NFC West, maybe not being you know aside from San Francisco, maybe not being the gauntlet that it was. You know, it's kind of fun pulling into the Seahawks training facility because you'll see some of the other players pulling in as well. And I was reminded, and Mora made this point in takeaways yesterday, and it was an astute one. Do you realize the Seahawks have half their draft class that's really not been participating here lately? I mean, it, it's not just Evan Witherspoon at the top, right? You, you mentioned Cam Young. Mike Morris has got the shoulder. Oluwulu Timmy's got the elbow. Remember Kenny McIntosh and how he was flashing and doing so much? I mean, that is five of your rookies that have missed significant, significant time here in training camp. It's those guys over the next couple weeks. They better hurry up and, and, and find a way to get on that practice field if they want to carve out a role for this team in 23. Well, one thing that is pretty well set in stone is Geno Smith locked in as the starter. The quarterback will join us coming up in 10 minutes. Here's the third thing you need to know. Uh, I guess it's not a huge surprise, but it was still a bummer nonetheless to see Jen Cohen leaving the University of Washington yesterday to take that same post as the athletic director at USC. I was just going through all the things that have happened during Jen's tenure here. It is a lot. They made the college football playoff. Peterson left. Jimmy Lake failed. DeBoer has shown some early signs of success. She fired Lorenzo Romar. Mike Hopkins has sort of struggled after some early success. Some excellent years with softball and women's basketball and men's baseball and the new deal with Adidas and the move to the Big Ten. She was a busy beaver uh, during her time yes. here, and I'm sure she'll be even busier at USC. Uh, Christian Capel was on yesterday. He, of course, uh, partners with us here at the station. You can read him at seattlesports.com. He was on with Bump and Stacy and gave a little sense as to who could possibly be in line to take this job next. Look, this is going to be a Big Ten program. You know, this is going to be one of 34 schools in the country that are in those kind of coveted Power Two conferences now. And so I would imagine their scope will be national, and I would imagine that they'll receive uh, interest from 
you know, sitting uh, athletic directors and that there, there could be some names come into the mix that, um, that people are familiar with and, and that, you know, would really like to, just like Jen Cohen did going from Washington to USC, really like to go from a league that's, you know, maybe not the SEC or the Big Ten into a program that, that now is going to be joining one of those two leagues. We'll dig into this a whole bunch more after Gino and Blue 88. So some names that you've heard pop up. I've got some, I think, serious thought on who that person, what type of person that needs to be for this job in this city at that university. So we'll dig into that in Blue 88. But, yeah, after 25 years, as Jen said in her introductory press conference yesterday down there in L.A., 25 years in one spot in college athletics. Working really from the ground up, a lot of marketing when Molly and I were in school there to ultimately an assistant to the AD. And anybody that's been around there will tell you she has been the one to make it go. No matter what she's done, whatever role she's been in. And when even Scott Woodward hired Chris Peterson and Scott Woodward, you know, took this job and bounced to LSU. I think Scott would say, yeah, the engine behind the scenes when he was in front was Jen Cohen. USC knew it. They targeted her. They've been going after her for months. And big step for her some some certainly some risk involved with managing that place and, and all the different folks that have a hand in it at usc but one of the top brands in college football and she gets her payday all right that is everything you need to know we do that quarter past to every hour here on the brock and salk show uh if, would you mind thinking on a question for me for a few minutes because i don't i don't know how simple it is but what is the number one most important thing an athletic director yeah. does in today's right. I, I, I mean, I, it's a job that I, I think people almost want to connect it to like being a GM, but I don't know that it's the same thing. No. Like, what are that? What is it that that job does? So maybe think about it a little bit. We'll, we'll get back to that at some point a little bit later this hour. We're going to talk to Geno Smith coming up here in a moment, and we've got so many questions for him. A guy with a story unlike any we've really seen in years. Rich Gannon was the only comp we could really come up with last year for what Geno did and going from where he was and the expectations to what he did last year. We'll sit down with the Seahawks starting quarterback. Coming up next, you're not going to want to miss it. It's Brock and Salk, Seattle Sports on 710. This is Brock and Salk. Powered through the Alaska Airline Studio. Back in mornings from 6 to 10. On Seattle Sports and the Seattle Sports app. First, we've never spoken to Geno Smith before. Seahawks quarterback. First time we've spoken to a Seahawks starting quarterback in quite some time. That's for sure. Geno, congratulations on winning the job last year and a great season. And nice to see you here this morning. Good morning. Thank you, guys. Thanks for having me. Uh, Heard heard, heard a lot of great things about you guys' show. That's not true. Now I know that based on what G tells me, that's not true at all. (laughs) You're absolutely on the defensive, as you should be. It's going to be an attack over the course of the next 15 minutes or so. We'll jump right into it. I, I, one thing that I think about with you that's interesting is is taking over the leadership of this team last year after a couple of seasons of being behind Russell, et cetera. Where did you learn how to lead? Uh, well, I think it just it started in my upbringing, in my home, um, you know, being the oldest child uh, of four, you know, being raised by my mother and father. Um, they always taught taught me about being a leader, you know, just to my younger siblings. And so it started there. And uh, leading by example was something my mom was always big on. She's always like, you know, you got to set the example for your, your little brothers and sisters. So I think that's where it started. And then just playing football, growing up my entire life, being a quarterback, uh, kind of being in that position all my life, I just got used to it. And so, uh, you know, when I was here, although I was the backup, I really never felt like, uh, you know, I was behind anyone. Um, but, I, you know, I played my role. Um, I was respectful, but I also, you know, tried to do my best to lead uh, in my position. 
Biggest piece of advice, counsel, that the head coach gave you when he told you last year you're the starter on that leadership piece was what? You know, he told me to be myself. Uh, he told me to be uh, just who exactly who I am, uh, continue to work hard, um, don't think about any of the outside noise, uh, and just focus on, you know, going out and proving myself and playing well, you know, doing the right things for the team. Uh, Coach Carroll is a great leader in himself, and so um, he, he doesn't ask you to do too much. He just wants you to be yourself and um, just be, you know, exactly who you are. It makes me wonder, just thinking about what you said, how many football players grow up being asked to lead and as they go higher and higher, high school, college, the pros, it, it makes me wonder how many guys are out there that could be leaders but maybe need the space given to them to grow up into that. Yeah, I think that's uh, – and I think leadership kind of starts with the person. You know, every, every single individual has to lead themselves. Uh, in order to be a great leader, um, you have to be accountable. And so when you talk about accountability, it comes with integrity. And so those are the things that – each person, you got to police yourself on that. And then if you want guys to follow you, you got, you better be doing everything the right way. And um, you better be a stand-up individual. And, uh, you know, the things that you say you better mean. So uh, I think it starts with the person, and then it goes out and branches out into each, each you know, group group setting. Is that part of the reason why you flew individually and to each of the locales or your wide receivers this offseason? Uh, it's a part of the reason. You know, um, you know, I've I've always done like the group setting where we all get together and we throw. And I feel like you know when you do that like one on one stuff, you get a lot more out of it. You know, you get to really talk to the guy and you know build a bond with each guy individually in their home setting where they're comfortable. And so uh, I didn't want to you know displace guys and have them flying across the country and and put them in places that they're not you know used to being and have, having them just leave their families and stuff in the off season. So I took it upon myself to to make that sacrifice. And you do have the kids. Traveling. I have one. Now I know. That's why. Now it'll come. You got a young kid? Yes. You're like, oh, you know what? I'll volunteer to fly across the country. <laughs> yeah. I got five or six different trips right. I got to make, honey. I, I can't yeah. be home right now. Yeah. Yeah. Now it all comes together. <laughs> yep. I get it. Yep. I see. You yep. I read your mind. <laughs> yeah. I got you. My girls are all grown, Gino, and I can't stand. They watch the show called The Bachelor or Bachelorette now. Oh, yeah, and there's like yeah. every version of it. Yeah. But they have their quote unquote hometown visit, yeah. right? Where they get to go see the hometown. That's what I'm imagining yeah. you flying. Like, right. I get my hometown visit now with DK, and I get my hometown visit with Tyler. Exactly, and, and each guy is, uh, you know, very unique, very different. You know, they're all at different stages in their lives. Tyler just got married. Uh, DK's young, younger than Tyler, so he's got his own thing going on. And all those guys are different, so I get to kind of, you know, hit all aspects of it. You know what's funny? You didn't bring up a word, and when I'd heard that story, I think I said on the air, you know what we don't talk about much is generosity. We talk about accountability and integrity, and a lot of books have been written about that with leadership, but how about generosity? How about no, no, no? I got paid. I got mine. I can now fly to you. I can yes. go see you. Yep. Generosity play a role now that you're in this position? Uh, well, I, I did that the year before, and I had always done that. And um, I think a lot of things get overlooked, but generosity is a big thing um, for me as well. Um, I'm, I'm a, I got a big heart, man, and I love giving. And so um, I look at all, all of my teammates like my brothers, and I look at them and, and say, what would I do for a family member? And so I just kind of look at it like that. And, uh, yeah, if I can be generous, then I will. Talking to Geno Smith here on Seattle Sports, let me back you up just about a year. Week one, you beat the Broncos, your first start as a Seahawk. How important in retrospect was that game and that win to everything else that happened last season? Yeah, I think, uh, you know, looking back on it in hindsight, it just set the stage for um, everything that happened after that. But, um, you know, it was a big game, man. It was, a, you know, a Monday night. Um, you got Russell coming back uh, after, you know, being traded. And um, 
there's a new team here in Seattle, kind of a new vibe, new feel. Everyone wants to see what, what it's going to be like. We just had a quarterback competition. Um, so there's a lot of different aspects. You feel a little there. different pressure there with Russ on the other sideline and knowing that it's your job. At this point, it's sort of your job for now. I mean, do you feel I that? Felt no pressure, honestly. I really didn't. Um, there's, I don't even live my life. I'm, I'm kind of cool with where I am in life, whether it would have worked out or not, I was always going to be cool with it. And, um, you know, the good thing about me is I don't place all my eggs in one basket. So I'm, I'm well-rounded and I don't look at football as like the end all be all. So, um, I was, there was no pressure. I just felt good about where I was at and was ready to go out and play. So you're telling me you're going, Hey, I'm going to go out here and play as hard as I can. If it doesn't work out, it's cool. I'll fall back on art or business or whatever other, like you, you have that in the back of your mind. Always, always, to this day. Uh, that's that's one thing that I, when I first got to the NFL, um, I kind of lost sight of. It was like, you know, I'm very multifaceted and very multi-talented. And so why would I look at this as like the only thing that I'm good at? I'm, I'm good at a lot more than just fo- playing quarterback. Um, but this is where my passion lies, and I love to do it. And so that's where I just stay focused on that. Just good on you. Hard. I think that's really interesting. Yeah. And, and we don't often hear that from players. Not that they don't have a lot of Well, you can't skills. say that at the combine. At the combine, you have right. to say, football's yeah. my life. Yeah, yeah. This is all I know. Well, exactly. It's and everything I, I'm about. I think yeah. that's a good point. And I think a lot of people in, in media at times want that to be the only thing that athletes are about. Because if you're doing 25 different businesses, maybe there's time that could have been spent. But right. Maybe the time spent on task is different from the knowledge and the skill set to be able to do all those things if it weren't to work out for you. Yes, correct. And, um, you know, I, I spend all my time working on football, being a quarterback, uh, so much so that, you know, my mom would always – she always reminds me, is like, you know, give something else some time. But I'm like, hey, I, I only get so much time to play this game, and once I'm done, I'm done. So uh, I, I put all the hours that I have into being a great quarterback. See, we all this warmth we're feeling. We talked about art before you jumped on, some of that you did as, as a youngster. And then Coach Carroll will come in here and tell us how hard-headed you can be sometimes. Yeah. And then, you know, we see Coach Carroll do one of these, like, zen moves on the sideline <laughs> or something like that. Yeah. I think that was against who, the Chargers down in L.A. Yes, or something yes, like that? Yes, So who is that guy? Who, who's – because that's not what we're feeling right here. Uh, I think it's like, uh, you know, we talk about having a switch. I think, you know, I just hit this switch and get into this mode. I'm super, super competitive. And so, um, you know, when it's when I'm in the weight room, when I'm in the classroom, on the practice field, uh, when I take the stage to go play these games, uh, I think I go from being Eugene to Gino. And uh, that's where I just kind of hit the switch and I'm all about winning and I'm, I'm ready to give it all. And so I get a little overzealous sometimes. I get a little too passionate sometimes because I want to win that bad. And uh, it's great to have Coach Carroll to kind of cool, cool me down, you know, when I get in those heated moments. It's interesting to hear you say that maybe you lost sight of some of that early in your career. And obviously the beginning of your career didn't go the way you wanted it to. This part of your career goes spectacularly well over the last year or so. Do you think if you had been in a different organization, and this isn't about the Jets specifically, but if you had been in the right situation, could you have had that kind of success early in your career, or did you need to go through that and mature, et cetera? Um, I'll say two things. I think you can measure success in many ways. My rookie year, we went 8-8, eight and eight, missed the playoffs by one game. Um, you know, I think I had the most passing yards uh, as a rookie uh, in the Jets' history, a bunch of good things happened. So it wasn't all bad, like, you know, kind of the perception is, the narrative is. And then my second year wasn't as great. Um, Ended the year that year with a perfect passer rating. Um, So I was getting better. I had gotten better, you know, from year one to year two, but our record wasn't as good. And so obviously the perception changed. 
But I think I needed those moments. I think I needed to be uh, hardened up and toughened up a little bit more. I think I needed to go through that fire in order to, you know, become the player that I am today and to be able to say the things and have the perspective that I have today because I'm very grateful for those times. Tell me about the three say and Fran games last year. Mm-hmm. What did you learn and how does that gap close this season? Yeah, man, um, San Fran, they had a tremendous season last year, great team. Um, one thing that I learned is how, how important it is to uh, take care of the football, especially when you play against those really, really great teams. Um, the margin of error is very slim. And so one possession could be the possession that changes the game. And I felt like, oh, you know, each game we got a little bit better, uh, a little bit more familiar, familiar with the team and, and with playing those guys. Um, but they beat us. I mean, that's the truth about it. They beat us three times, and, uh, I mean, that that's that stunk, man. That hurt me. But uh, we get a chance to go at them again this year, and, and we're looking forward to it. You know, we'll get them at some point in the season, but, uh, you know, we got to start with, with the Rams week one. Moore, could you play me cut 19? This was Pete Carroll uh, a couple of weeks ago. We were asking him about the, the season and what to look forward to and kind of w- what else is next for you. Mm-hmm. And I think I asked him specifically – can you guys be even better this year if Gino doesn't improve? If he's just the same as what he was last year, this is what Pete said. Not really, but he, he's he's aspiring to, of course. But uh, if he can, I mean, he, he led the NFL in completion percentage. He almost hit the seventy mark that we've been shooting for all these years. Um, I think he lost it in the last week of the season. But um, that's the same thing. If he can be somewhere in that area, then he will be giving us the kind of play that we need. And he looks great physically. He, he's really in great shape and ready to go again. So let me apologize. What I what I had asked him was, do you need Gino to be better than last year? And that's right. why he says, no, not really. Do you believe that? Do you think you need to do anything better than you did last year in order for the team to take another step? I think, um, in my opinion, I think Coach Carroll is absolutely right. Um, A lot of me thinks that the season I had last year gets overshadowed for whatever reason. Um, I actually had a really, really good season. And um, when I talk about being better, I talk about being better in certain areas like the red zone or situations like third down or being better at protecting the football. Um, you know, keep, you know, keeping drives alive with my feet, you know, being more mobile, you know, doing some of those things. Uh, as far as the numbers go, I mean, it, it you got to do whatever it takes to win games, you know, so the numbers may not be as good or they may be even better. And I'm striving to be a lot better than I was last year, even with the numbers. But um, for me, it's situational. And um, I think that's what he's alluding to in that. That's the problem with quarterbacks, man. You could do like an hour, right? right now. He's got to run to a meeting. Um, can I, can we do like some rapid, rapid fire, fire stuff? Like go yeah. no huddle? Like Let's we're go. picking up the tempo like you guys did in the opening <laughs> drive of preseason game number two. First thought that comes to mind when I mention these guys. Your very first thought, DK. Physical specimen. <laughs> Lockett. Humble. Jackson. Natural. This Bobo guy. Route runner. What's with more Bobo? More Bobo. Give him the ball. <laughs> he makes plays. Sneaky, funniest dude on the team. Um, Nick Ballore or uh, Quandre Diggs. Why does Quandre pick on you a lot? Uh, he's short. You know, he's he's not that tall, but uh, he's my friend. You know, we got a great relationship. Hold on a sec. That I, I got to call you out on an answer. They, those guys can't be the sneaky funniest because they're sort of the n- obvious. They're funniest. the obvious ones. Yeah, I think you got to go deeper. Sneaky than funny. That. Uh, sneaky funny. Tyler Lockett. There we go. Yeah. See, that's different. I yeah. wouldn't have expected that one. Best Hooper on the team. Myself. Wow. <laughs> not Pete. Really? Oh uh, no, Pete. <laughs> <I'll get> Pete. <laughs> Coach Carroll. Um, leader. 
Um, Shane Waldron system for you and him together, year three. What does that mean? More efficient. Could you go deeper? I know it's no huddle, but Bro, we're no go, huddle. Look could you go just a little, maybe just a next little play. bit deeper on that? What do you mean more efficient? Yeah, um, I think always being in the right play. Uh, we we know how I know how Shane wants things done. Um, he understands how I play, what makes me go, and so um, just always getting into the right play. Um, you know, getting the ball in play, moving the ball down the field, scoring more points. Are you going to be able to keep all these weapons happy? There's so many people in this team to throw the ball to, hand the ball off to. Like, do you uh, think about does that? Is that a challenge at all? Uh, not with the guys that we have, man. We got so many humble guys who understand that there's one football. I know they're all competitive. They all want the ball, and uh, I do my best to spread it out. Do you hear from them? I mean, look, they're, I know they're humble, but they are wide receivers. I don't hear from them, but uh, you can feel them in the huddle sometimes if you don't, you know what I mean? If you don't give them the ball. What does that mean? Then, feel, feel them. them. Just stay, you know, if you know just, your guys, yeah. you can feel them. You, okay. know, you know. That look. They just, they're staring at He'll you. He'll do that to me yeah, on radio yeah, sometime. Yeah. Like, right. Yeah, yeah, let's go. We, just, we got things yeah, to we got do. Right? Gino's got meetings to go to. We got things to do. So, all right, last thing I have for you, and maybe it's a little off beat, but Pete is so into competition. We hear about it so much. You go into last season competition. You mentioned it, a quarterback competition all throughout camp. This year, I know there's competition always, but you're out there taking all the first-team snaps. This is your job. Did you miss any of that? Um, you know, I, I don't because it's never left. We're competing our butts off, man. Me and Drew, we go at it every single day, man. I mean, I know it's not, like, written about, but uh, we're trying to, you know, see who's the best quarterback out there. And, who, you know, we, we both get to a chance to go out there and prove ourselves. And I think that's made Drew a lot better, and that's made me a lot better. We're not looking at it as uh, the competition's over uh, because every day we go in there and watch the film. So uh, we want to – and that's that's been awesome. We're, we're completing at a high clip right now. Like, we barely have incompletions in practice. And, and that's because of the level of competition that we have. And so uh, we're pushing each other, and we're getting better. Appreciate it, man. Do you know Rich Gann? Hold on, I'm not done. Bro, you know I, Rich know Rich. I know Rich. I know Rich. Can you just tell me quickly? Because he's the name that keeps coming up. He's got 10 minutes. What – do you get the comp a lot? I mean, when you met Rich, do, do you talk to him at all about sort of this late career resurgence, et cetera? Yeah, I remember watching when, uh, you know, when, when the Raiders were really good and went to the Super Bowl and uh, Rich had that, I believe, MVP season and, mm-hmm. and came back, had a, another really good season. Um, had Charlie Garner, had, uh, you know, Jerry Rice, had, uh, yeah. um, who was it, Tim, uh, Tim Brown, Tim had Brown. a bunch of great yeah. guys on that team. Um, I get the comp, um, you know, I, I think the late surge in my career is, is very comparable to what, what Rich did and, um I think for myself, I'm a little different. You know, I, I came in maybe with uh, high expectations, and I've been a starter all my life, so I, I really never struggled until I got to the NFL. And I'm grateful for it. And you know, if I can do what Rich did, win the MVP, and you know, get to the Super Bowl, and I'll be happy. Pretty cool, Gino. Thank you. Thanks for taking a few extra minutes with us. We appreciate it. No Let's do it. Let's sit down for an hour in the off season yeah. and, yes, and hear about your life and your family and all that stuff. I appreciate. Thank it, you guys. for doing this. We yeah. appreciate it. Thanks, yes, Gino. Thank you. Appreciate it. All right, there you go. There is Seahawks quarterback Gino Smith, kind enough to take a few minutes with us here on Brock and Salk and. Uh, I mean, it's hard not to be impressed, right, as, as you hear the stories about, you know, competition and growth and understanding what happened in New York, et cetera. Yeah. It, it's hard. And I'll just tell you guys, if you're sitting here in the room with us right yep. now, it would be impossible not to be impressed. And I've been as skeptical as anybody. Yes. It'd be hard not to be impressed. Yeah, it's what I – I've told you this. If I've told you this once, Sonk, I've told you this, what, 100 times, 10,000 times over these 15 years, what – what I love the most 
other than this job, sitting with you and learning and, and more and Justin and the team that we have and what we try to do to compete, to win. I love when I get to fly in to college campuses and sit with coaches and players just like that. And over 15 years, you know, I went in, probably started with all these lists of questions. <laughs> I wouldn't even want to go back right. and watch some of those interviews. Very formulaic, you know, very like, okay, I got to get this. I, I got I to know about this coverage, right? And over time, and, and it's my most cherished time. Some of my peers in the industry think it's a waste of time. And I'm like, keep thinking that because that will keep me employed. Mm. If you think that these coaches and player meetings are a waste of time and you get nothing from it, Look in the mirror because that's on you. Because mm. if you can't sit with somebody, like literally that 15 minutes right there to me was so much more instructive than watching him do press conferences for the last year and a half. You just, you got a little smirk on your well, face. Well, because he had a smirk on his face yes. the whole time. You guys are going to watch the video of this. If you haven't seen it already, it'll be up on YouTube later. And he's got like a little knowing smile the entire time. Warmth, though. It wasn't like a, like a, I didn't feel. It was a, a little mischievous. Yes. He's got a little mischievous smile. Yes. And especially after years of the frozen smile on Russ's face. Yep. It's a very different vibe. Mm-hmm. There's a little mischievousness there. There is. I don't think I knew that about Gino until just now. There's a little more charisma. I think actually not a little. There's a, a lot, lot, a lot more charisma. He's mischievous. Than is led on by you know <laughs> one thing he did you learn to... watching number three for ten years was hey man you can put that that veneer fi- yep that veneer on for press conferences or whatever for that outside noise <laughs> it's going to come at you but then when you get a chance to connect with people. Your QB room, your coaches, your teammates, people close to you, you know, be willing to connect. And that was He looked like he was on the verge of laughing out loud for mo like like he like it was like we were playing some sort of game, right? Like he talked about competition. He uh-huh. sort of has this look in his face like, All right. Yeah. I, I, and I'm I'm willing to bet he said he you know look these, these guys all say they don't listen they don't know what we're and and maybe they don't but he certainly hears and talks to folks and when he says oh I've heard great things about you <laughs> I, I, now some of that may be true some of it may be the opposite based uh-huh. on some of the things we hear behind the scenes we played uh, G and uh, and KJ the other day talking about how KJ was uh, shocked to find out that he didn't hate me when we actually started coming <laughs> in and doing the show together I'm uh-huh. putting words in his mouth but you know what I mean yep. I'm sure he was expecting some something, and and you could kind of see him like, yep, uh, you know, preparing for. Well, it. I will say this too. Oh, that was so great. I, I really enjoyed. Yeah, that. I will say this too. I I had a day that I spent with Drew before he uh, left Denver to Seattle, and if he were sitting like right across right there, if it was Gino and it was Drew, you would walk away with the Drew experience like I kind of. I like that, dude. Have you not? Yeah. Right. I kind of now get it. I see why John and Pete really liked him. I see now why Pete gave Gino every opportunity to lead, Mm -hmm. right, and to be that leader and a multifaceted leader. I kind of liked his – I mean, we're, I I guess, trying to – not trying to. It's organically happening with the Furious George and (laughs) – and uh, but when he said – and Walter and, and Logan. But when he said, yeah, man, Eugene becomes Gino. Like, there was a lot of – we sat next to Eugene right there. Yep. You know, Eugene, who was the art student, by the way, in junior high down in South Florida that had offers to go to New York and be an art student up at some of the elite art schools in New York, was like, ah, no football teams. <laughs> I'll stay in South Florida. Right. So you've got kind of, as he said, that multifaceted approach. And I don't know about you, but as I've gotten older, my respect for leaders has grown with those that are multifaceted that are able to walk in different environments. Well, and I like the way he said it, because I, I do think there is a concern sometimes with the whole, hey, football's not the only thing in my life. What do you mean? 
right? I mean, you're getting yeah. paid millions of dollars Correct. not to do art, not to That's do right. business. Like, you're getting paid millions of dollars for this one job. Yep. And I, and I think, and I'm definitely guilty of this. Not that I think athletes don't have other parts of who they are, but you're not paying them for that. Mm-hmm. And I love his way of viewing that of like, hey, look, I have those things. That doesn't mean I focus on those things. Yeah. I know they're there. And if I need them, I can always go back to them as a some fail balance in life with it. If all no, I have cool. is this, and this is all I do, and my mm-hmm. identity is defined by all of my results, you're going to be miserable. Well, some texts coming in about that. Nothing fake about that confidence because it comes from perspective. Gino sounds makes Russ sound like a piece of particle board. Uh, I'm glad you guys got that Gino interview. I like him a lot more now. Gino is such a breath of fresh air after 10 years of the robotic interviews. Mm-hmm. Gino is him. I'm loving this interview. Listening to Gino is brilliant. Night and day compared to the quarterback we used to have. He who shall not to be mentioned, and there's a whole bunch of others. Yeah. yeah, I thought that was pretty cool. That was, uh, Salky was probably counting the hairs on your neck. You know, that's really unnecessary. <laughs> my neck's not particularly yeah. hairy. No, I think he was looking at my the... back, no, my arms, yeah. my chest, my legs. Uh-huh. Like, there's a lot of other hairy parts. My neck's not hairy. No. That's just wrong. <laughs> you know, you don't need to exaggerate. There's yeah. enough hair. I said already. something. I, my filter went on right there. I'm going to just stop. Okay. Right you know, there. why don't you why don't you keep whatever you're going to say <laughs> yes. to yourself? Yes. Uh, we'll come right back. We'll do Blue Eighty Eight at nine o'clock. I'm sorry because there's so much good stuff in there with Jen Cohen. I wanted to give it short shrift. I want to yep. make sure we have some time for that. So we'll do it at nine. Let me set up the next hour for you. Jeff Passam will join us at eight thirty. Before we get there, we are on to our number four. Most intriguing Seahawk as we come down the final stretch. Stick around. We'll tell you who that is next.